From the Transverse Network, this is The Transgender Show, an interview program about self-acceptance and discovery. I'm your host, Emily. This week on the show is non-binary trans mask streamer, podcaster, and purveyor of a vibrant online non-binary community, Gender Meowster. We've got a great friend of the network on tonight, Gender Meowster. Welcome to the show, Meowster. Meowdy, everyone. Welcome to the chat. This is Neferkitty. Her pronouns are she, her, and I'm Gender Meowster, and my pronouns are they, them. And we're very excited to be here. The first one I like to ask is my, my favorite, the most fun one. How did you choose your name? Um, and you don't usually use your name in, in public spaces, so you use the Gender Meowster, correct? It's true. It's yeah. true. I'm willing to share my first name. Um, okay. I won't share my whole name because I don't want to get doxxed, but my first name is Jack, J-A-C. And um, I didn't know it was like a trope that non-binary people, especially trans-masculine non-binary people, chose three letter one syllable names <laughs> when right. I chose it. Hmm. Um, but I'd like, there's a lot of mythos around the name Jack. There's Jack of all trades. There's, you know, songs, hit the road, Jack, you don't know, Jack, like the, the pun opportunities are <laughs> endless with, with Jack. So, um, that is the, the name that I selected for myself. Um, I am quite a punster. My cat is also Nefertiti, which is a pun on the Pharaohess Nefertiti. Mm-hmm, she of is. <laughs> she cannot, she refuses to stay out of my arms for too long. So here we are holding cats. Um, <laughs> So I um, I tried out my name at a women's chorus. There's an LGBTQ chorus in Big City nearby. And so um, I used uh, I used my name there just to test it out and really liked it. And so went to work and sort of, I think, I think I changed my name socially maybe four months or so before I did it legally. Okay. And for my birthday that year, I did a GoFundMe. And was like, hey, my birthday is coming up. Give me money so I can pay for a name change. And it was somewhere between three and four hundred dollars altogether, because I also updated my passport in addition to my driver's license and doing the the name change. So I just like raised money for all of it, and it was really touching. Um, my parents actually donated to the GoFundMe, and so it felt really affirming to have, you know, parents. Trans people have really complicated relationships with parents, Very and um, it just felt really good to have like, you know have them support me in that way. It was very cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we will definitely yeah. get into the joys of, of uh, relationships with parents in, uh, a little bit later, actually not too long from now, but um, uh, where did uh, gender meowster come from? What was the, the genesis of that? Oh, what a great question. So um, I started my channel with a different pun name, dungeon meowster, um, because I saw a t-shirt that had that on there. And it seemed like no one person sort of owned it. It's like a pun that a bunch of like tabletop people really enjoy. And so, um, so I used that for a while, but I couldn't get the name to be consistent across all platforms. Like mm. some of the places I was Meowster Dungeon, some of the places there'd be an underscore, some of them there wouldn't be. And it was just sort of complicated. And so there came a point with my Twitch streaming where I realized, you know, I'm moving away from like, only doing tabletop stuff and i'm really sort of leaning towards gender related things uh, for a lot of reasons and um what what could i do that's more in alignment with that but when you shorten it you still have a pun or a, a sort of a secret hidden thing that doesn't nod towards the tabletop origins of the channel and so gender meowster is what i came up with because i really liked meowster and i was like well i want to keep meowster 
So what else could I do? And then, um, you know, in the tabletop realm, you can be a DM or a GM is the other commonly used phrase uh -huh. for someone who runs a tabletop game. There's also narrator and storyteller and other things, but like in terms of like the little acronym situation, GM is the other one. So gender master was shortened as GM. Uh, so I still have it in there, but it's less obvious because it's also it's just not the forefront of what I'm doing anymore. And I was able to get it on all the platforms, Twitter, YouTube, Twitch, all at the same time, no underscores. So I'm so glad to be free of the plague of underscores or yeah. not. <laughs> so moving into the meat of your story, when did you first realize you were trans? When did you realize that 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 was the identity that fit with you? Oh, what a great question. I've been a tomboy um, sort of my whole life. And even even as a young kid, like I wasn't doing dress up and tea parties. I was like playing ninjas in the backyard with the butter knives in the dirt and like Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time with mac and cheese and RC Cola. Like <laughs> it was like I was not doing the femi girly things. My sister was and I wasn't, you know, I didn't I didn't want to play wedding. I, I didn't really have like a vision in my head of what my wedding would look like one day, probably because they expect AFAB people to wear dresses. I just was like, there's no way I'm wearing a dress. Hmm. Um, so even as a young person, I just, I couldn't, I couldn't see myself in the role assigned to women at all. I just couldn't see it. Um, so I, I started using a different name. Is that 2017? I think it was like January or February of 2017. Um, and at the time, in my brain, I was like, I'm non-binary, but I'm not trans. And so honestly, it hasn't been until the last year or so that I have decided that trans for me is an umbrella term and non-binary is under that umbrella. Mm -hmm. So therefore, it, it may also apply to me. But to me, at the, at the beginning, trans was like this, this binary male to female, female to male thing. Mm -hmm. And there was no room for other genders. And so I was like, I'm not trans because I'm not, I don't want to be a man. Like... I'm just not a woman. I'm this other third over here thing. I don't know. Um, and what I've what I've learned is, you know, you don't have to know where you're going to leave what's not working for you anymore. You know, you can start the journey without knowing the destination. I mean, even my sexual identity changed a bunch of times. Like, thought I was straight. Then I came out as bisexual for like a month. And then I was a lesbian after that. Um, and there are plenty of bi people who are absolutely bi and it's not a stepping stone. So I don't want to, I don't want people to think that bi isn't real. Bi is totally real. And I also wish that bisexual folks were validated in both straight and queer or gay communities. And they're not. So I was, was, am question marks, uh, lesbian. Um, and then like, you know, fell in love with my wife, who's a trans woman. And so that, for me, expanded the definition of lesbian, um, not in a, like, I was turfy and gross sort of way, just like, it was new for me. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, the the question of, am I a gold star lesbian still or not, is my wife is like, no, you're definitely still a gold star lesbian. And I'm like, yes, but also. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and that's one of those things, too, you know, you, like you talk about the, the fact that there's something, you know, the, the gold star lesbian and, and the, mm -hmm. the derision that. The community, but that both straight and gay communities have expressed towards 
uh, bisexual folks and and you know I think that the the trans community does with non-binary people a lot of the time have you kind of experienced some of that in in the non-binary identity with the trans there, community there can there can be some folks who are very binary focused and so um they think that oh you're just non-binary until you've been on hrt long enough that you'll be a trans guy like right mm-hmm um, I will say that socially people have a harder time with they, them pronouns. And sometimes if I tell them I'm trans, they'll use he, him for me. Like they'll flip the binary, but they won't transcend the binary. And, um, oh gosh, it just, it reminds me of when I was at the doctor's office, uh, last Friday and the nurse was really struggling with pronoun stuff and she could not get they, them figured out at all. And like, she never met me. She never met my doctor who also uses they, them pronouns. And so because her perspective is binary, like she starts from a different place. Her perspective starts from A or B. And for me, my perspective starts at neutral. And from neutral, then we add pronouns and people tell me, you know, am I this, am I that? Um, But a lot of, a lot of folks who are cis gender, especially they don't start from neutral. They start from an assumption. Yeah. And so, um, you know, the, Oh, it's so hard. I got that excuse. It's such a common excuse. Oh, pronouns are so hard. They, them is so hard. And I'm like, no, it's not. You're just sort of an asshole. (laughs) Yeah. I I think if you want to give more, more slack in it, I I think people are just lazy. I think societally we, we like to stick to the, the easiest, easiest path. And it's just like, yeah, the most familiar is, is, the correct um and and the, and the easiest yeah so what i would love to see is a new normal where we start from neutral mm-hmm. and then we use they that you know she her he him zizem whatever other um neo pronouns people might be using from a place of neutral you know from a place of i'm not going to make assumptions about your identity because i don't know what they are yeah you know raw raw pronouns <laughs> Was there a specific event or, you know, coming to terms with things that was the um, egg crack moment for you? Oh, man, I wish I had a good answer to this question. Maybe I do. I feel like I have always been non-binary looking back. I honestly just felt like my dead name didn't suit me and my pronouns didn't suit me. And um, it was it was subtler than that. Like I, what I can say is um, deciding to start hormone replacement therapy, that was a, a big deal. And I was realizing that I would really love facial hair. And I actually have some growing in. It's just very blonde right now, so people can't see it. But I have a little mustache growing in and my little cheek hairs are getting long. The easiest to see is my neck beard, which is, you know, frustrating and hilarious that the part of the beard that I find the least attractive is the first one that's really growing in dark. <laughs> of course. Welcome to transition. I think that's true for many, many trans mask people, though. <laughs> oh, great to know. The worst part starts first. Okay. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So, so I've been, I was, I thought about it for a long time. And honestly, my wife and I got married and then. A week to 10 days later, I forget which of those two numbers, seven or 10, a week to 10 days later, I told her that I wanted 
to maybe start HRT. And it, I was totally freaking out about it. And it took me like another four months of freaking out about it, like every night, just like stomach dropping terror um, before I finally like got in to see the doctor and like started. Um, and sh and I felt so guilty because it's like, well, we just got married and now that I'm changing on you. I mean, and she was like, but you were already non-binary. And I was like, well, I know. And she was like, I knew this would happen. And I was like, did you? <laughs> and there was just, it just forever. It just went on forever. I've, um, I've heard another um, person who's on your network uh, talk about having these nightly check-ins with their spouse about, is it really okay though? Is it really okay? <laughs> and that just feels like so, um, it's just so trans. Um. <laughs> Well, and you hear the statistics, like if you're married and you come out, like there's like a 90% plus chance you're going to get divorced. Like, mm -hmm. and so the last thing I wanted to do with my brand new spouse I'd been married to for seven to 10 days was get divorced because I was more trans than I thought I was before. <laughs> I love it. You didn't have to come out to your spouse. You just had to come out to your spouse. It's like, well, I'm, I'm more trans than, than we, we talked about. <laughs> yes. Wait a minute. Uh, still they them, but also maybe a beard. And the thing is, like, she identifies as lesbian, so it's like, you know. Uh-huh, yeah. But he, what are you going to do? I don't know. So we, we're both lesbian, and she's going even more feminine. So she's, you know, becoming more like other people I've dated over time. And I'm becoming less like people she's dated over time. So it's like we've gotten so queer we're at the point of we may look straight one day to other people <laughs> which is just the strangest like strangest thing ever just go all the way around i love it i love it did you have a particular role model or confidant to look to or to speak to when you were starting your transition and starting kind of accepting who you were i feel like i have had many confidants um you know i am a quadruple leo so I have a lot of friends. <laughs> it's just sort of in my nature. Um, and so I, I think the thing that I've needed the most support with, honestly, is um, having people to talk to about my medical transition because it's weird and there's not a lot of documentation on the Internet about it. Like doctors don't even really know what's going on. I'm so grateful I finally got a non-binary doctor who is trans themselves, mm -hmm. who like understands what the heck because i've had a bunch of cisgender people prescribe hormones and like they're like yeah figure it out and it's like that is insufficient data i need more than that so um and that 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 new doctor i just got like after my top surgery like a month ago mm -hmm. i've seen them twice and it's been really really helpful to like have someone who knows what's going on um but i will say that i do have uh, a private little group on like a signal group chat on my phone that's like eight ish trans masculine people six of whom are on hrt plus my wife just as a by the by where i could ask my like really awkward like am i supposed to be growing hair there is this normal my skin is really dry is that normal like and you'll hear me talk about the stuff that i end up asking them later on my little trans check-ins at the beginning of my talk show because I'm trying to document all the stuff and like make it more normal for people that this is a thing that happens, uh -huh. um, you know, get the word out. And so I, I have my little brain trust of like a bunch of non-binary trans masculine people 
you know, who some of whom microdose, some of whom are on like transman amount of tea. Um, and I just asked them all my awkward questions. They can they consented to be in the group for me to be like, mm, this is does this make sense? So I'm really I'm really grateful I have a little spot that's like only for that that I can ask my awkward questions to and not have a weird audience. Did you have multiple ways of coming out to different people? And if that's so, mm. like, what was the most successful for you? So one thing to know about me in general is I have pretty strong memory issues. I don't remember things very well. So if it hasn't happened recently, it gets harder and harder to bring up. Um, I think that's probably a combination of my neurodivergence and some traumatic brain injury at work stuff that has happened in my life. So I don't remember a lot about coming out. Like, I remember coming out to my mom as a lesbian and my dad is a lesbian. Um, I remember a really awkward time that I shared a paper that I wrote in college with a bunch of my conservative Christian relatives about how it was okay to be LGBTQ and, um, and Christian. And I actually just finally got that published on medium and they're maybe going to cancel my account because I, it says queer all over it. And it's like, ah, but I'm not using it as a slur. Anyways, I've done in person. I've done um, sending a document. Uh, the document was very dense and probably was not the best starting place. I think a heartfelt letter would have been better than like, here's a bunch of academic blah, blah, blah about uh, lesbians um, for 25 or 32 pages or whatever that length of that paper was. It was my thesis. It was ridiculously long. Um <laughs> I honestly don't know if they read it even. Um, I think at one point, some of my family members told other family members, like I think my grandparents have mostly heard from my parents um, instead of me. Um, if there was a conversation, I don't remember it very well. I know my grandparents really struggle with my name and pronouns still, which is a bummer, but we honestly don't talk very often and there may be some dementia going on. So I think I need to lower my expectations of my grandparents and just like, let them be because yeah. we don't have a contemporary relationship. We have a historical relationship. And when we talk, it's mostly like, Oh yeah. Remember when there's not a lot of like, what's happening now. Let's visit. Let me come visit you. It's like, you know, it's, it's more like a stroll down memory lane together. Um, so that's been interesting. Um, it's kind of sad how much my to... relationship with my parents is very much like that already. <laughs> Yeah, well, I'm I'm grateful that my parents and I do have a more contemporary uh, relationship and even friendships. Um, you know, grandparents not as much, but my my wife also her her family her she's good with her mom. She doesn't really talk to her dad, and the extended family on both sides I don't hear about very much. So it's it's a thing that happens. We have to choose our own families because um, so often. The families assigned at birth, like our genders assigned at birth, don't fit us at some point, mm -hmm. and we have to move on. Um, yeah, I don't know. Um, I feel like there might be more to answer your question, but I think, you know, because I came out as non-binary with new name and pronouns so many years before I started HRT, there wasn't like a big celebration or hullabaloo about when I started HRT. Mm -hmm. I think I think I like called my mom or I don't remember, maybe I texted her and was like, by the way, uh, my voice might change. So just thought I'd tell you before it gets too weird and different that this is a thing that's going on. 
Well, and, she and, actually has been on my show. We've talked about it at length, what it's like for her being a parent of a trans person and what that experience was like. And it was a good chat. That is awesome. I love that perspective. I've been trying to get that on here, but really haven't had, uh, I don't think we've, we've been able to get a parent yet. We've got spouses, but but not a parent yet. That's oh, yeah. for, it's, for the future. It's good fun. Um, this this time slot is way after her bedtime, but if it was earlier in the day, my mom maybe could show up and hang out here with everybody. Okay. Well, um, yeah, I have to, to ask her. I need to work on the podcast version, so we'll, we'll save it for that. <laughs> so, fun. you know, one of the big things for you that, that I, I, you know, like I mentioned in the intro, um, I hear a lot from you about advocacy for you know, neurodivergence, disability, and things like that in what you're doing. You know, it's very important for you to have captions for your show and, you know, mm -hmm. making sure you're honoring people's pronouns and all that. What are some of the key challenges that you've noticed at that intersection of transgender, neuro neurodivergence, and disability? Um a vast majority of trans people are also neurodivergent in some way. Often it is autism or ADHD or both. Um, there are huge barriers to getting formal assessments to be diagnosed as ADHD or autism, autistic. Um, it's like the waiting list can be six to 12 months and the cost, um, if you pay out of pocket, can be between six and 10,000 US dollars just for one person to get assessed um, because it's a, it's a lengthy process over multiple days and there's a bunch of, you're exhausted after I've heard. Um, I actually have the, uh, frankly, luxury of getting an assessment done uh, starting uh, the middle of next month. The, the person who's doing it actually went to continuing education when I was like, hey, I'm pretty sure I'm both autistic and ADHD. Uh, can you deal with that? <laughs> like, do you, are you ready for that? And this person is like the most highly recommended, um, like person who does assessments for autism in the big city nearby. And so, um, she actually hadn't done a lot of continuing ed for that and decided to go and do it. So we've pushed out when my assessment is so she can go do this continuing ed, like, I don't know, last week or this week or sometime. Um, because, even though the community is realizing, wow, there's a ton of overlap, the the providers are still behind, right? Like if people need research to then do continuing education, then they're always going to be a couple of years behind the cutting edge of what's really happening in the community and the realizations that's going on. Mm -hmm. And so um, I'm grateful that she has been really clear with her communication and willing to do that. Um, so similar to how uh, a a binary gendered world is not very friendly to uh, especially non-binary people, but trans people in general. Um, so like with uh, trans men and trans women, there's anxiety about bathrooms, right? Cause it's like, Oh no, maybe I don't look the gender that I identify with. And if I go in the bathroom, someone's going to give me a hard time or whatever. Um, but then you get to me and it's like, there's not even a bathroom choice. Like it's not men's versus women's. It's like non-binary doesn't exist architecturally. People haven't put it everywhere. Yeah. Some There are some states whose laws have made it. So if you have um, single-use restrooms, like one person at a time restrooms, you just change the signage and make all of those all gender restrooms, which I think is great. Um, there are some restaurants in my town that are out of compliance with that uh, city ordinance or state 
guideline or whatever. And so sometimes I'm like, oh, this is this is one of those places that I'm a little bit less safe because they're not willing to update their signage, even if local law says that there should be signs. Um, my wife actually has a solution for this, which is just one restroom for everyone with floor to ceiling walls and doors and bye bye urinals forever. And just everyone has a toilet, just like at your house. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and a centralized hand washing spot. And that's it. Like one room that everyone uses the end. So anyway, um, but so just like just like there are a lot of ways that society is not accommodating to non-binary people, society is not accommodating to disabled people or neurodivergent people. Like, you know, I've realized like, wow, having the ability to have captions on things really helps my brain like keep up with what's happening. And that, you know, if it's because either the autism, autistic, like my brain isn't parsing the words coming out of someone's mouth because it's a big wad of sound or the like ADHD, I'm distracted and doing a bunch of things and I need the words to read to give me enough to do with my brain to stay present. Like there's a lot of different reasons that captions are really important. And so like we went out to the movie theater and everyone was checking the checking vaccination cards. So it was a safe activity. Um, and... Like there was no captions at the movie theater. And I was like, wow, it's been a long time since I've watched a movie with no captions. And it was significantly harder for me to like understand what was being said. And I realized, you know, this is the first time in a while I haven't understood all the words of dialogue. Like there's just stuff I missed. And because there's no captions to double check against, it just dropped out of my head. There's there's just a lot of ways that the, I would say the overculture, to borrow a word from uh, Thorncoil, who is a pagan activist based out of Oregon. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of ways that the overculture uh, does not make accommodations for people along lines of gender identity, uh, ability, and like physical ability and mental ability. Neurotype really is what it is. It's on oppressed people to stand together, right? That's why, especially at the height of the Black Lives Matter protests, like it was so important for especially white trans people and white lesbian, gay, bisexual people to be in the streets with people of color standing up because we, we have to band together and support one another. This is uh, our ethereal question, sort of the big picture. What does transition look like for you or what does it mean to you on a kind of a deep level? You just asked someone with two degrees in religion and an ethereal question. <laughs> Um, I think that trans people are magic. We are living examples to the world that metamorphosis and change is possible and powerful. Mm -hmm. And, um, we show others that it is possible to choose your own story and not only live your truth, but also live your joy. And I think there's a lot of people who don't get the chance to live their joy. Um, a lot of people who accept the the script of the overculture that's given to them, um, they they numb all of all of their pain out in any myriad of ways, um, perhaps including alcohol or drugs or um, over utilizing social media or. Um, watching, like just binge watching shows endlessly or what have you. And there's just a lot of people in the world who are just numb. And that's not to say trans people don't also do all of those things because we absolutely do. 
Um, but I think that, you know, one of, one of the surgery requirements, for example, is, um, you have to see a therapist and you need to get a letter from your therapist to prove that you're trans basically, uh, which on the one hand, I am super not a fan of gatekeeping. <laughs> and on the other hand, I love that trans people who probably have had a lot of trauma growing up in a world that isn't shaped for them, um, get the opportunity to process through that and come out on the other side, a more whole and strong person. Um, and so, you know, it's, I definitely think being trans is like playing life on hard mode. <laughs> yes. Um, but I also, I also think that, um, you know, the rewards and the benefits tend to lead to more enlightened people because we've had to spend time looking at ourselves and really asking those key identity questions that a lot of cisgender heteronormative people never ask themselves because they just are following the path before them, which is, it's magic. It's really cool to be able to have your, your will and choose who you want to be and become that. How far along are you in your process and your journey? Socially, I'm pretty far. <laughs> Socially, I've been out for years. Um, medically, I have had my top surgery about, uh, is it two and a half months ago now? I think two and a half months ago. So I'm at the healing with um, silicone tape stage of my top surgery recovery. Okay. I'm also at the, when I put bowls away too high and too deep in the cupboard, I still have ouch pain. Um, but for the most part, I'm back to, I can do everything. Um, I've been on testosterone for eight months and two weeks. And I only remember that level of specificity because I check in about it every week on my little talk show. Hmm. And, um, I'm still undecided on if I want any sort of bottom surgery like we'll see we'll see what testosterone does and how i feel about it um frankly i had a breast reduction years before i had my um my top surgery and i lost a bunch of sensation and nerve endings and things mm. and so it makes me really hesitant to go under the knife again in a sensitive area mm. because i've already lost a bunch of sensation and so it's like I, uh, I don't know if it's worth it that uh, that's second surgery I don't, I don't know i don't know that that's worth it so um yeah. today i'm leaning towards no but there's still who knows i don't know if that process ever ends maybe it does but um you know i my 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 like future like physical transition goals includes like having a really nice beard that's full that's grown in and that i can manscape if you will mm -hmm. or themscape <laughs> I would love to have a deeper voice too. Um, I have a, a non-binary friend who's been on T maybe two years and their voice is so like luxurious and deep. And I'm just like, ah, I want to sound like you. You're so cool. <laughs> they're in the UK. So it's extremely very late there. Maybe they're awake by now. I don't know. Hmm. Um, it's like three, three forty-five or four forty-five in the morning. So probably not yet, but um, yeah, I, so yeah, the, the beard and the deeper voice are the two things I'm still really looking forward to. Um, there's a bunch of stuff that's happening on HRT that I'm like not as excited about, which is hair growth in other areas I didn't expect. <laughs> but uh, what are you going to do? I don't know. So anyway, yeah, but like socially, I'm, I'm definitely like all of all of my friends that I talk to on a regular basis, like 
use my name pronouns. Some of them don't even know my dead name, which is how I like it. You know, the name change went through years ago. Um, There's like the only outstanding name change thing I have left is actually my birth certificate. And I have the paperwork downstairs. I just need to get it notarized and mail it off to the state of my origin. And then, you know, X number of months later, that'll be it. Um, And I guess the other sort of paperworky thing is... Um, I think, I don't know if it's statewide or nationwide, but at least my state now offers passports that you can have an X as your gender marker instead of male or female. Mm-hmm. And so I want to update my passport yet again, even though my name is right on there, my gender marker is incorrect. And so it's like, as the law is catching up to me, I have to go back and do rework on some of these pieces I have already changed once because, you know, I need to change gender markers so it never ends it never ends no it doesn't what are some of the key fears that you've run into in your transition and how have you overcome those oh goodness Uh, my biggest one is that my wife would leave me Mm -hmm. frankly um hence the endless crying for four to six months about it it helps that she's also trans I, i mean i don't know if the whole chat has been here all night so i've said that a few times but just it's directly relevant to this like you know, I think that that statistic of like 90% of trans people leaving their spouses is like, that might be if you're a cis couple at the beginning, but we were already lesbian and trans something and whatever. So, you know, thankfully that went a lot better, but I think, yeah, losing, losing my spouse was honestly the biggest fear. Um, There are other fears that I had that I no longer have, and it's harder to remember them at this point. I I may have written them down somewhere. Um, But I know I was afraid of voice changes. Um, When I was in the women's chorus in Big City nearby, I was a soprano one. Like, I have a pretty epic voice range. I'm not warmed up, so I will not demo it for you. Also, my my noise canceling might cancel it out anyways. But (laughs) I have a pretty epic voice range already. Like in high school, I was an alto, alto one, alto two. And then in this fancy chorus, that's very hard to get into. I was a soprano one, which like they have a really hard time filling soprano one slots. And so um, I didn't want to lose that higher register because it's so fun. And I was at a public ritual recently for Samhain. And I was trying to sing to lead the chant for our little group. And I struggled because I picked... Uh, the key that I picked, whatever it was, and I just started singing out of the blue. I didn't use like a pitchfork or anything. The key that I picked was like right where my breaking point is now. And I didn't realize that because it's been COVID. We've been inside. I haven't been singing, at least not that loud. Like, yeah. you know, whatever. It's been it's a weird two years. <laughs> so I totally picked the wrong spot and it was really hard. And people sang with me and nobody died. And it was just like, you know what? I did my best. And I told people that I started tea and it might be weird. And it was weird. And Whatever. It's, you know, I think part of it is like, I'm earnest and that gives me confidence because I just tell people what's going on. I'm not trying to hide it or mm-hmm. whatever. I'm not trying to be perfect and 100% polished. Frankly, with my neurodivergence, it's hard to be polished. Like, I just can't. It's just, there was a time when I was really good at masking, especially before pandemic, but before you know, the event happened after college where I got hurt at work and had the brain injury. But ever since I got the brain injury, like my ability to be eloquent is diminished. And I still, I do all right, you know, I do okay, but I used to be better. But the thing is, I'm the only person who remembers that at a certain point, like everyone else, 
has only known me as I am now and they still love me. Mm-hmm. And so I don't have to be this like idealized, perfect, younger spokesperson that I was. And yeah. I can just be me today. And the earnestness really helps with that. I love that. That's so that's, wonderful. I guess, how I cope with the fear. Mm-hmm. So what do you do in, in your life or your day to day to find validation for yourself? Um, if it's been a, a streak of not feeling great, like more than one day, mm-hmm. I get a haircut. Ooh. That's the quickest, the quickest refresh on the, the confidence boost. The confidence meter is when I have like a fresh cut and my sides are really low down and I don't have like just like puff and fuzz. I'm like, I have the little, the little one, but it's really trimmed tight on the sides. I just feel so handsome. Mm-hmm. I just feel so, so good looking. Um, I actually just got a non-binary barber. It's like the only one in town and I'm so thrilled. <laughs> one of the years recently for Yule, I got a haircut pack that was like five haircuts that were paid for ahead of time. And it was just such a thoughtful gift, like to just know when I need the haircut, I can just go get it and it's already paid for. And that's so great. Oh, yeah, I love I that. Love you it. have a punch card of euphoria. I love it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, totally. Having friends that validate me and use my pronouns. And if I know there's going to be a particularly tricky interaction or conversation, I will try to bookend it with people who are more understanding of my gender identity. And so, you know, maybe I'll check in with them before if I'm a little anxious. And then afterwards, I can tell them what happened. And, you know, they can just remind me of the important things, you know? So it's a wonderful um, practice. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good skill. Um, How do you feel that transition, transitioning has affected your mental health? I was diagnosed with depression years ago, Mm -hmm. years and years. I was on antidepressants for a couple of years. And honestly, looking back, I think it was gender dysphoria and just the general oppression of being a 20 something in late stage capitalism and struggling to find work that pays you enough to live. Like there's the systemic oppression of being in late stage capitalism that I was dealing with as a like, even with a master's degree, could not find a job worth having like just a bunch of really mediocre jobs. And honestly, it's because I'm neurodivergent and um, a vast majority of neurodivergent people are either unemployed or self-employed, like 70 to 80 percent, I think, fall into that category of self or unemployed because it's just it's hard. Yeah. And so the exception that I have found in the like intersection of trans and neurodivergent community is like especially trans women are so good at software engineering like computers and trans women brains are like yes we get each other and so it's just like there's this little pocket i think that must be the other 20 to 30 percent is like and all the rest of them are software engineers with the trans girl socks and the computer skills and the struggles with social skills and (laughs) that's who i married (laughs) that's my wife so you know Mm -hmm. so once i started taking testosterone the depression got easier to deal with um i was actually not on um, antidepressants during covid um the part of that is because i had already um acquired a bunch of skills to cope with depression from the years leading into covid of having it and so even though I was still, honestly, the anxiety was worse than the depression during COVID. There, was, there still is a ton of anxiety. But now that there's vaccines, it's way easier mm-hmm. to deal with um, because it's no longer life and death. It's like inconvenient and discomfort or not instead of life and death, at least mm-hmm. for me. Right. People who can't get vaccinated or won't get vaccinated. It's still life and death for them. Um, so I actually like got off of Facebook for a year. 
because I was like, nope, this is too much. People are too side A or side B, and I just can't, I cannot. My like, I, I, I like got laid off at work because I was so anxious I couldn't get out of bed mm. with COVID. It was so bad, and so, um, with all of that, when I started testosterone eight months ago and change, um the depression and anxiety got a lot easier to live with. It became more manageable. Um, and so it was just this combination of overculture and dysphoria that was really crippling. And so now that I can be more proudly myself, right? Like I'm not, I'm not doing the trans mask hydro chest shape all the time. I can actually like sit up and be tall and proud and be me. Um, it's it's just a lot easier to navigate the world and i don't feel as terrified as i used to is there anything you feel you've been able to accomplish because of your transition or because of your identity oh yes <laughs> um i mean i have a whole talk show that's <laughs> been amazing um i have a discord community with over 400 people in it that's been amazing i've never run a community that's that big before you know, I've run around in, in smaller groups, but never, never something of that size. Um, I, you know, because of my wonderful spouse, the software engineer, um, I, I feel like I have a duty, like a, an obligation to do what I can to support other trans people as they are on their journeys. because my immediate material needs are already being tended to. I don't have to go to a nine to five anymore. Um, my wife makes enough for both of us, which is so weird. I never in my life thought I would marry someone who made enough for both of us. I never thought I'd be a house spouse. Hmm. Like that was not on my to-do list. I was so sure that as a lesbian, especially both of us were going to have to work because of the, the pay gap between men and women. And so it just did not occur to me <laughs> that this is what would happen. Um, and so I, I really want to use that, frankly, privilege to elevate as many other trans people as possible. Um, and so, you know, being able to do what is possible for others has been um, incredible. I, I don't have a tally or account of how many little trans eggs have hatched in my community, but it's at least in the tens, if not, you know, closer to 100. Like it's there's a lot of people whose lives have shifted and changed. Um, and it's not just me who's making the community go. There's a ton of people who put in time and effort. I'm just the public facing person. Um, but, oh, it's just, it's so, it's so amazing to not only have the community as a whole, but have a team of, of mostly trans people working together um, on, on facilitating and creating these spaces. Um, one of us is sort of somewhere between egg mog mode and like demifem, but doesn't identify as trans. But for the most part, we're all gender something going on, mm -hmm. um, which is so it's so fun and great and wonderful um, and rewarding to work with other trans people on this thing we all care about. So it's, um, you know, when I started, when I came out at that choir concert, back in 2017 and i was a little scared shy like please use this name for me i don't know like i couldn't have imagined that this is where i would be four or five years later it just was not within the realm of possibility in my head so i can't 
frankly, I can't wait to see where both of our communities are in five years. What is your favorite thing that you've learned through your journey? Um, I don't know if I can pick a favorite, but I can pick an important thing. It may not be the most important thing, but one important thing that I would love folks to keep in mind is there's a difference between gender identity and gender presentation. And so for me, one thing that I've learned is I can look like a trans man and I can still identify as a non-binary person. And so as a non-binary person, I don't owe anyone uh, androgyny. I don't have to be androgynous, which frankly is hard to do when you're as curvy as I am. Hmm. There's a lot of androgyny that's tied up in being skinny. And so as a, as a like curvy trans masculine of center person, like it's just androgyny has never been on the table for me. And so like, I can't tell you how many times I've met non-binary people who never considered HRT because they didn't realize there's a difference between identity and presentation. Like I can think of one really specific example of a trans person who like me talking about that actually helped them realize that they could start estrogen because they were like, Oh, Oh really? Like that's an option. And so now we like send each other little DMS and squee about the things that are happening and it's very cute and wholesome and great. <laughs> What would you say is the key advice that you have for young or closeted trans folks out there? If you think you're trans, you're trans. You don't, um, your presentation doesn't have to be a certain thing. And you don't have to have this egg cracking moment, this grand awakening. So surround yourself with community and take it one step at a time. And you don't have to know where you're going to start your journey. You don't have to know where you're going. That's okay. I was bisexual before I was lesbian, and now I'm some sort of lesboy husbian. I don't know, something. <laughs> All the great things that you get to define as you go through. I love it. It's great, and it's fun. It's fun to come up with names. Like, I'm not a wife or a husband. I'm an infinite. That's the word that my wife and I coined for me. Hmm. So I'm not her wife or her husband. I'm her infinite. It's and it's so fun. Yeah. It's so fun. I love it. And we'd geek out about it in my Discord all the time. We're just like, ah, here's this word I found. I made this thing up. Ah, it's so great. It's fun. So yeah, um, if you if you think you're trans, you're trans. That's it. You, like, here's your stamp of approval. You are officially trans. Uh, you can keep freaking out if you want to, but you don't have to. <laughs> Take a deep breath. We're here for you. We love you. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Transgender Show from The Transverse Network. Watch this show live Tuesday nights at twitch.tv slash The Transverse and later on our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash The Transverse. Be sure to check out our guest on social media and YouTube at Gender Meowster. If you love what we're doing and want to help support The Transverse and get access to exclusive content, you can do so by visiting patreon.com slash The Transverse. 